Amen. Man, the spirit of the Lord is in this place. And what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you for coming and being here. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here at Memorial. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be continuing on in our series, The Temptations of Christ, today. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And so if you want to open your scripture up to Matthew chapter 4. But we're going to be dealing with uh, this morning a subject that's relevant for everyone in this room. And it's called the temptation to sin. Uh, we all have that temptation uh, to sin. And ultimately, our passage this morning affirms the truth uh, about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, even though the devil failed uh, in trying to trip him up, trip up Christ, uh, he often succeeds in causing us to stumble. And uh, the passage teaches all of us who struggle with sin a very wonderful truth. And it affirms the uh, assuring, encouraging truth that is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 14 through 16. I know I said Matthew chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be. I just wanted to share this, no charge up front. But this, this helps us, by uh, it's like healing medicine uh, for the soul of the struggling child of God. And, and Hebrews 4, 14 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who can cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, that is a mouthful, but what that says is Jesus Christ has been tempted in every way that we are, but he came through it and without sin. And, and, and that is what makes him such a wonderful savior for us. You know, for our purposes today, I want to define a couple of terms. Uh, you wouldn't think I'd need to define the word sick, okay? But uh, sometimes in today's, um, you know, modern language, sick is like used as a way of something that's, wow, impressive, or, you know, it's sick that way. But what I'm talking about is something that's bad, something that's ill, something that's not well, okay? Something that's unhealthy, okay? So, so not right. I like that, you know, it's not right. But we're talking about sick, but we're also talking about religion, Okay, so we have to define that, you know, we're talking about faith, we're talking about what we believe, we're talking about worship, we're even talking about theology. So when I say sick religion, you might think of bad theology, you might think of, you know, unwell worship, or, or something like that. And, and, and what I'm talking about is, is the fact that we take something that God created as good, and we make it something other than that. Okay, um, let's read in Matthew chapter four. Uh, this is the second temptation of Christ. Verse five and following says this. It says, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not 
put the Lord your God to the test. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this scripture. And I I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just open our hearts, open our eyes, uh, open our minds uh, to see the truth of your word. Father, I pray that you would just uh, convict our hearts and Father, that you would uh, be glorified in that. Lord, we love you and we praise you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, the devil had failed in his first attempt uh, to get Jesus to sin, to seduce him, but he wasn't done yet. He reached into his bag of tricks and he pulls out another uh, temptation and this temptation is what I wanna call sick religion. You know, according to the Jews, they believed that the center, the center of the world was Jerusalem. They believed that the center of the world was Jerusalem, and here's why. In Ezekiel 5, 5, it says, this is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. And so the rabbis would say, Israel is the center of the world. Jerusalem is the center of the land of Israel. And the temple is the center of the city of Jerusalem. And so, if you will, the temple was considered the epicenter of the entire world. In their view, that's what they viewed it as, is, is this was the very center of the world. And so suddenly Jesus and, 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 and Satan stood on top of the tallest part of the temple, the pinnacle, if you will, of the temple, some 450 feet above the floor of the Kidron Valley, 450 feet. This ceiling is about 40 feet high. 450 feet above the the, the valley floor. So they're standing way, way, way up. And I guarantee you, if you're standing 40 feet up and looking down, it looks like a long ways. The 450 feet, it's a lot further. One side you have the Kidron Valley. On the other side was was, uh, the temple grounds that were uh, crowded with worshipers. I just want you to notice something here, just to pull over and park for just a moment. Even holy places are open to temptation. Even holy places is where the enemy puts his temptations there. So think about that, you know, as we we go through this. The devil made his new pitch. You know, so Jesus... (laughs) You've made it abundantly clear that that bread is not your priority. You've declared that hearing and doing the word of God that comes from God is your desire. Very well. Um, We are at your people's great worship center. We're standing here and you can see them. What better spot to hear and to do the word of God? And, And listen, listen to what your scripture says. Nothing gives you guidance like scripture, right? I know you will want to do what it says. And here's what it says. And this is what the devil said. He said, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now just leap off this pinnacle. God has promised to send his angels to catch you and everyone will see what happens. They will be amazed. They will follow you anywhere. Jump, Jesus. If you believe God's promises, then jump. See, we get a better picture 
of what's happening if we look at the passage that the devil's quoting here. And if we do, you'll see that he left out some important details. And, and, and you can detect the subtle trick of the devil here. I want to read out of Psalm 91, just a few verses here. Verse 9 and following, it says, For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands and they, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. I mean, the context of that psalm, the context of that psalm is that of a person who makes God their refuge and dwelling place. That's the whole purpose of that. The, the person who completely trusts God for protection and preservation it's a promise that God will protect the person who trusts in him like that. Who makes him your refuge. Who makes him that dwelling place. And, and, and the context gives meaning to the portion that the devil omitted. He omitted, the, 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 he says, God will give angels charge over this person and guard you in all your ways. Huh. And guard you in all your ways. Those ways are the ways of a man or a woman who trusts God or as his or her refuge in a time of evil. Times that are outside of our control. Folks, this is not a motivation. It's not an invitation to throw yourself off of a high tower and presume that God will respond. That's not what this psalm is saying. That's not the promise. Just catch me, Lord. Here I am. I'm going to jump. That's not saying that. It's saying if you put your faith and trust in him, he's going to guide you. He's going to protect you. He's going to preserve you. Always, always, always beware when the devil quotes scripture from the Bible. He's always going to leave something out. Watch for how he takes it out of context. Watch for how he twists it. But notice Jesus' response. He quotes another passage of Scripture and directs the devil's misuse of the first one. And, and, and think about this. Staring straight into his eyes, I would imagine he quoted Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The idea that Jesus asserted is that we're not to try to presumably force God's hand. You know, make him prove that he's going to keep his promise with us. You know, when we try to put God in a bind, <laughs> I mean, that's just funny thinking about it. When we try to put God in a bind and try to place him in a situation that obliges him to prove that he is trustworthy... We're showing that we don't trust him at all. And that's really what, what he's telling Satan. So the devil's particular temptation in this second effort was to try to get Jesus to obtain glory without taking, um, you know, without taking matters into his own, own hands apart from God's will. Doesn't matter what God wants, do what you want. At its heart... It was a temptation to elevate himself at the cost of stealing glory from his father. 
Folks, this is the temptation that we feel at one time or another. We all feel it. And again, Jesus fully experienced it, yet without sin. See, he was tempted to yield to sick religion. But here's what we need to understand. Every generation, each generation faces that same temptation. He saw it for what it was and dealt with it successfully. Just think about these three questions for for the time we have left here. How can we identify sick religion? How can we, what's the lure of of sick religion and what is the remedy for it? Um, First of all, how can we identify it? I want to give you four characteristics here. Four characteristics of sick religion. Sick religion is self-glorifying. When there's, a, there's bad faith, when there's something that is wrong, it is self-glorifying. It is also miracle-dependent. It's scripture-abusive and God-dishonoring. I'm going to unpack some of that here. You know, Satan tempted Jesus to glorify himself. And he tempted him to take an action and say, hey, look at me. I can, I can jump off the, the, the pinnacle of the temple. And God's going to take care of me. I mean, what's wrong with, with Jesus focusing some attention on himself? What's wrong with him choosing to draw all eyes and be the center of attention? I'm going to tell you there's a whole lot wrong with that. When we want the center stage, when we want the center light, there's a problem if that's what we want, if, if we're trying to, to get that. Because that's what Jesus, the the devil tempted him with that, to take control of his destiny, to carve out his own place. And had Jesus done this, he would have stepped outside the will of God and would have been guilty of self-glorification, of glorifying himself. See, God's will was for Jesus to be a suffering servant, not a miracle worker. He was a suffering servant Sick religion is always self-glorifying. It's the kind of religion that the Pharisees, um, that caused them to to call attention to themselves, to their almsgiving, to the way that they fasted, to their their, um, praying. We read all about that in the, in the gospels, how they were so pious and they would, they would call attention when they're doing something. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts? In the book of Acts chapter 5, they fell into the same trap. They sold a piece of land. And they brought it, uh, the part of the proceeds, and they, they laid it at the apostles' feet. But they told them that it was all the, the proceeds that they got. And so there's a, there's a desire there. They, they said they had given it all. And it's always self-glorifying when you see sick religion. Because sick religion, it drives us to speak when we have nothing to say. It drives us to speak when we don't have anything to say. It drives us to accept a position for the sake of status or even to assert our views because they are our views and not necessarily good for God's people or his church. Well, Sick religion also produces false prophets and demagogues. I mean, disguised as God's servants, their perspective is one of self-conceit. Their actions cry out, look at me. See how great I am. 
follow me. See, notoriety and wealth are their goals, and the approach of the manipulator is their method. And so we have to ask ourselves, ask yourself, do I seek to glorify God or myself? At the end of the day, it's a fair question. Am I seeking to glorify God or myself? But see, we don't stop there because sick religion is also miracle dependent. I mean, the devil drew on the the popular expectation that the Messiah would come and he would appear suddenly atop the temple and he would be a great miracle worker uniting the people and reconstituting the Jewish state. They thought, oh, he's going to do all of that. And the popular idea was fed by the people's insatiable desire for signs and wonders. Oh, if he could feed us. Oh, we want some of that bread. We saw him break and bless, and he passed it out in 5,000 people. We, did, we missed out on that. We want to get in on that. They had an insatiable appetite for signs and wonders. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he confronted and rejected that devilish desire. Stop. It's not just about the stuff. It's not just about the miracles. And he began that day on the temple heights. See, Jesus knew miracle-dependent religion is as fragile as the last miracle done. Think about this. Because it's sick and it can never be satisfied. It has that attitude of, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? You know, on my birthday and um, at Christmas time, my, my wife uh, gives me a gift or two. She, she, she likes doing that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. She knows me better than anyone else. She knows me, and, and she loves me. She knows what I like. She, she chooses to bless me with some great gifts. Now, while I enjoy those gifts, and her gifts are super great, what I really desire and what I really want is her. I don't care about another fishing rod, another tool, another this, another that. Oh, they're nice. But what I really want is her. I think this is huge because I love her and trust her not because of what she can give to me, but because of who she is. See, God performs miracles, and he doesn't want us to love and follow him for the sake of the miracles. He wants us to trust him and love him because of who he is, not because of what we can get from him. And so we have to ask ourselves, does my relationship with God depend on miracles? Because sometimes it's that way. We just go from miracle to miracle. Moving on, sick religion is scripture abusive. Notice how Satan cited Psalm 91. I mean, he put that out there to support his case. He abused scripture by completely ignoring its original context and meaning, and he abused scripture by using it for his own purposes and by inviting Jesus to do the same. To take it out of context and to use it for your own purposes. Jesus obviously declined the offer, and our Lord cited uh, Deuteronomy 6, whose larger context, if, if we look at the passage that Jesus quoted in rebuttal to, to the enemy, 
to, to the devil. The larger context of what Jesus um, quoted is a sharp warning to fear and serve only Almighty God and to be certain to do what is right in God's sight. And so on about three different levels, he's attacking exactly what the enemy used in his argument. See, Jesus' citation and interpretation were true to the context and the meaning of that passage. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I submitting to the scripture or am I using the scripture to support my own personal agenda? Lastly, I would say sick religion is just God dishonoring. I mean, Satan, <laughs> Satan wanted Jesus to use God. We can almost hear him saying, you know what? Take advantage of God. Jesus, hold him to his word. Make him prove himself. Use him to get what you want. But you see, this temptation stands above God to view God as one more tool, to view God as one more resource at our disposal. And folks, that is characteristic of sick religion. I mean, Jesus declared that we are to reverence God and to make it certain that we lived in submission to him. And for Jesus, for Jesus, this meant the cross. To live in obedience and submission to Almighty God for Jesus was the cross. We don't want to follow somebody whose road leads to the cross. And therefore... We need to check our religion. We need to check our faith, make sure of what we are sure of. I, I, you know, Jesus declared that we are to reverence him, so we ask ourselves, is, is religion characterized, is my religion characterized by submission to God, or am I attempting to manipulate God? So what is the lure? Why do we keep falling for this temptation? Why are we so easily deceived by it? Sick religion offers immediate gratification. I mean, Satan mistakenly thinks that Jesus wants more followers and he can have that instantaneous if he will just do this. And the, the tempter suggested that by leaping and being rescued, that would produce this result, that he would have all these followers then that, that, that would follow him. And, and Satan was correct about people because we are vulnerable to a celebrity's appeal. We're, we're vulnerable to a celebrity's appeal and we're addicted to excitement. Something new, something exciting. Oh, we want to go see what it's about. We want to go here. We want to go there. You know, pe sometimes people change churches because it, it's the latest and greatest. Folks, we need to understand that where God puts us, he wants us to serve there. He's in control of this. And, and, and a lot of times we step outside of God's will when we start doing what we want rather than what he wants. So we give in to sick religion for the same reason that we fall for the get-rich-quick schemes. The desire for fast, low-cost results. Listen. A cheap public 
rededication may leave us inwardly unchanged, but it makes us feel better about ourselves for a day. And it actually kind of garners a little bit of public approval. Well, look, Ridge, that sinner is finally down at the front. He's finally confessing his sins. You know what? We all need to do that. We all need to be examining. See, it doesn't seem to matter that in the long term we fall short of God's intentions for us and we have to, we have what we want, what we think we want and we have it now. So there's this immediate gratification. I feel better. I made my peace with God. You see, sick religion promises to leave us in charge of our own lives. I mean, Satan offered Jesus the devil's kind of religion. It leaves self on the throne. We can almost hear what Satan might have said to Jesus. Now, Jesus, if you're going to keep going like you have, you're going to lose control of your life. Someone else is going to be making the rules, choosing your goals, selecting your methods for you. You don't want that, do you? Listen to me, Jesus. Just grab hold of your destiny. Take charge of your life and ministry. You don't need to let anyone lead you down a road that leads to a cross. You can reach people a different, a better way. Start now. Jump. Jump. See, the promise of being in charge of our, of our own lives while we're being religious and doing good is very attractive. It appeals to our need for control. But that's not the way Jesus chose. See, sick religion lures us to, because we're sinners, we're separated from God and fearful of a genuine encounter with him. It is tremendously scary to get on your face before the God of all creation and to just open up to him because our lives will never, ever be the same when that happens. But this is the problem. We're fearful of that encounter. We know who we are. We know where we've been. We know the sin that so easily trips us up. And we don't want to come and confess that sin before an almighty God, before the one who can save us, the one who loves us. It seems like we ought to be running to him. But instead, we do nothing. We sit back. See, Satan's kind of religion promises to make us religious enough so that we feel good, so that we look good, and maybe even help others in need. But sick religion also enables us to keep a safe distance from God so that we're not in danger of him challenging us or him changing us. Our sinful nature leaps to embrace that kind of religious placebo, a fake nothingness when we could have the real thing. See, the lures of sick religion work because they appeal to our, some of our deepest desires. I mean, left to ourselves, 
none of us could resist the temptation to sin for very long successfully. But fortunately, we have a better strategy. I mean, what is the remedy for sick religion? Here it is. What are we to do? We're to enter into a proper relationship with God. It's pretty simple. Enter into a proper relationship with God. And in that relationship, submission and obedience to him characterize that relationship. We can claim God, we can claim Jesus, but if we're not submitting to him, if we're not obedient to him, then we're not following him. This is huge. I'm gonna ask our worship team if they will come back um, and lead us in a couple more songs. But consider, consider the, the verse that Jesus quoted to Satan. Deuteronomy 6, 16. And in its broader context, Moses told the Israelites to worship only God and to keep God's commandments. They were not to put him to the test in any way, forsaking all false, all self-serving idols. They were to submit and to obey God. Only then, only then would all be well with them. See, Moses is giving them a very stern warning. We're going to go into the new land. We're going to be God's people. We cannot worship idols. We, can't be, we have to be done with all these. We have to worship God and him alone. Don't tempt him. Just worship him, be obedient, and do what he asks you to do. That's the right relationship with God. See, sick religion puts something or someone else even self, in God's place. And it promises success or some other reward that we desire. And Jesus taught that sick religion is deceitful. It's not the truth. Its ultimate effect is to separate us from God. Now, Scripture talks about like clouds without rain. They promise to bring rain, but there's no rain in them. You promise to bring light, but there's no light in you because you've settled for something that's much less than what God desired. See, healthy religion, the kind that Jesus chose and calls us to choose, puts us in that right relationship with God. So let us turn then to our gracious Savior in the times of our darkest needs, our deepest temptations. He knows how it feels to be tempted by the things that tempt us. And because he was victorious over over temptation, he's wonderfully able to help us, to help all who will turn to him. So I'm telling you today, refuse sick religion. That stuff that's peddled by the enemy and desired by our sinful natures. But accept today the freedom and the salvation that comes from submitting to Almighty God. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you would 
Father, help us to, to walk with you.